welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series three and episode 12 in which Jesus heals a disabled man. The passage we're going to look at in this episode is in John's Gospel and chapter 5. Chapter 5 verses 1 to 15 we're going to read uh, in just a moment. The setting is in Jerusalem and this is in contrast to the previous episodes and the narrative that we've been looking at uh, recently in the last part of uh, series three. We've been in Galilee, we've been amongst crowds, we've seen all sorts of remarkable healings, Uh, We've seen Jesus beginning to gather his disciples together. We've seen religious leaders coming down from Jerusalem and Judea and other places to check Jesus out, uh, to investigate him. And now the scene changes dramatically. John, in his account of Jesus' life, points out that Jesus um, visited Jerusalem on a number of occasions. And just to say again, Jerusalem is the capital city in the south of the country in the province of Judea. Um, It takes two or three days to get there from Galilee uh, by the normal means of traveling. And so it's quite a big decision to go from Galilee to uh, Jerusalem. And it was the tradition of the Jews to travel up to Jerusalem, uh, the capital city where the temple was uh, every year, uh, once a year or even up to three times a year. Uh, to attend the major religious festivals, uh, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, the three major festivals of Israel. Uh, So Jesus from time to time went up to Jerusalem and John records these incidents and each one is significant. But when we are in Jerusalem, we're in a very different atmosphere and, and environment than we are in Galilee. So let's just reflect on that briefly uh, before we we start reading the passage, just so we can get a feel for what's actually going on here. In Jerusalem, Jesus wasn't that well known to the common people. He'd only made brief appearances. The one we know of, uh, John chapter 2, when he cleansed the temple. But it was a brief appearance and he will return on a number of occasions. So the ordinary people of the city would have perhaps known something about Jesus, but very few of them would have met him or seen him in operation, in action, and he would seem a rather distant figure to them. They would have heard of John the Baptist and Jesus uh, because they were quite well known in the country. Whereas the people in Galilee were very familiar with Jesus. Many of them would have actually seen him. Many of them would have experienced him coming through their villages or towns. Many of them would have traveled some distance to hear him speak or to ask him to pray for the sick in their families or something similar. So in Galilee, Jesus was very much at the center of popular culture. People were talking about him all the time. There were stories about him and the things he did circulating right the way throughout the district. But Jerusalem was a bit different. There was a social division too. Jerusalem and Jerusalemites, people who lived there, felt themselves to be at the centre of the nation. They tended to feel a little bit superior to people from the northern province of Galilee. And they had the uh, temple there, the centre of worship. They had all the priesthood operating there and the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, 
that uh, organized and adjudicated their religion, Judaism, was based there. They made all the decisions about how things should be done. So it was a different feeling. And so when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, he can to some extent be anonymous. He's not well known, particularly at this early stage in his ministry. By the end of his ministry, things have moved on. But that's going forward a couple of years from the situation we find ourselves in this text. So he goes up to Jerusalem and he initiates a very surprising event. An event that has a different feel to the sort of things he'd been doing in Galilee. It's a healing, but the circumstances of it are totally different to what we've been describing in previous episodes, even if we go back to the last episode when we looked at Mark chapter 3 verses 7 onwards. We looked at Mark describing this amazing scene of thousands of people gathering, crowds pressing in, Jesus retreating back to the lakeside of the Sea of Galilee and asking his disciples to prepare a boat so he can get away from the crowds when he needs to. Um, The commotion and the crowds, people pushing through to get Jesus to pray for them. That is a far cry, a completely different situation from what we find in this passage. It's because we're in a different part of the country, a different context, a different spiritual environment. We're in the capital city where Jesus, up until this point, is not well known. So let's read the passage with those things in mind. We're going to read uh, John 5 verses 1 to 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feasts. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid uh, replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I think you can quickly see this is a very different situation to the one we saw in Galilee with those vast crowds. When you go to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and you can go there today and still see approximately the same structure of the old city of Jerusalem as uh, existed in Jesus' time, there are a number of gates into the city. We've got one mentioned here, the Sheep Gate. And uh, you can go through the equivalent gate, although the construction and the building of the old city is uh, much later than the time of Jesus, but you've still got the traditional walls of the city and the gates and you can go through them. And on your way in, as you're heading towards the temple, which is right in the middle of the city, you can pass by um, a site, which is the Pool of Bethesda site. It's still there today, it's been excavated and they've even found the five columns or colonnades in the excavation that are described here by John in this narrative. I've had the opportunity to go through that gate, to go to that pool, and then to head up to the site of the temple known as the Temple Mount. So in my imagination, I can envisage what it was like for people visiting the city coming through the gate, feeling they'd come to their wonderful capital city, the city of God, the city of David, the city of the temple, would have been an exciting feeling. And this pool, this rather large pool, which you can see the remains of, uh, was on the main road up from one of the gates towards the temple. And many people have suggested that one of the functions of this pool was for ritual cleansing or ritual washing. The Jews had these um, ritual washing pools and the archaeology has revealed them all over Israel. They called it a mikvah, a place of cleansing. And so I can imagine some people coming up to the temple, preparing for worship, preparing for a, a religious festival, preparing to bring an animal sacrifice through the priests to God, would have stopped by at this pool and washed themselves in a ritual sense, not just for physical cleanliness, but as a sign of wanting to wash away their sins. But also at the pool, which John specifically mentioned, uh, people who were sick gathered around the pool and he refers somewhat mysteriously to the waters being stirred. What would stir the waters? Was it something miraculous that happened? Or was it perhaps more likely an underground spring right under the pool that would bubble up from time to time and create um, a stirring of the waters? We don't exactly know but either of these possibilities exist. And if there was some underground spring, then from time to time the waters would be stirred. And the tradition seems to have been that when the waters are stirred in this ritual cleansing pool, when stirring comes from within, then 
This is a moment when the waters have special power, not only to clean you up spiritually, but to actually heal your body. And so this is the reason why the invalid in this story, the paralyzed man, uh, says to Jesus, you know, that he can't get into the water quickly when the water is stirred and therefore he can't progress with healing because the traditional belief was that uh, people could be healed through this, although there's no evidence that that ever actually happened from this text or from anything else that we know. These sort of religious traditions arise in many societies, don't they? Holy places, places of cleansing, places of healing. All over the world, we have these holy places um, attached to different religious traditions and different major religions. Here's an example of one within the Jewish tradition. And what we see is Jesus coming to this pool, but notice he's coming very anonymously. He comes to this feast without a crowd. He comes to this feast without a lot of disciples following him. He comes privately, almost secretly. And the extraordinary thing about this story is that as he has this conversation just with this one man, there were many people needing healing there. And Jesus had healed thousands and thousands of people in the days and weeks before this event. But he picks out one. And it's because there's a, there's a particular chain of events that's going to follow this. Jesus is actually provoking a discussion between himself and the religious authorities. And we'll see how that unfolds towards the end of this episode and particularly in the next episode where a long conversation uh, takes place. But at this particular point, he comes anonymously and he says to the man, very simply, do you want to get well? The man is defensive because he says, of course I want to get well. I'm here in the place where we trust that we will get well when the water is stirred and when we get down into the water. In other words, he's saying, that's why I'm here. And then Jesus gives the command, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And miraculously, the man is healed. But the extraordinary thing is that as Jesus disappears off into the crowd and as the man heads up the road to the temple, um, just a few hundred meters away, the man doesn't actually know who Jesus is. Now, this illustrates the point I mentioned earlier. Not everyone in Jerusalem had heard of Jesus in these days. It wasn't like Galilee. He hadn't been there hardly at all. A few people had heard of him. This man wasn't one of them. He didn't know who he was. But he picked up his mat and he walked. And he got into conversation with religious leaders who criticised him for carrying the mat because it broke one of their traditions because this particular event took place on the Sabbath, the holy day of the Jews. Now, we've already discussed a controversy about the Sabbath day that was rising between Jesus and the religious authorities. Now, on the Sabbath day, according to the law of Moses, people should rest from their work, not work in their fields, give their families and their animals an opportunity to rest as well, and, and the servants who work in their homes, if that's appropriate. It was a day of rest and worship. But the Jews had added all sorts of extra, hundreds of extra rules and regulations that God didn't give them from the law of Moses in the Old Testament. They just added them in. And one of them relates to the situation here where they told him that he wasn't allowed to carry his mat because it broke the Sabbath rules. Well, it broke their rules 
but it didn't break the God-given Sabbath regulation um, in the law of Moses. And so a little bit of a controversy might occur and indeed will occur surrounding the fact that Jesus performed this miracle on the Sabbath day, a day when everyone was supposed to be resting. And the story ends when Jesus travels up to the temple as well, just a few hundred metres um, up the road into the centre of the city. The man has gone there. He's got into conversation with religious leaders. He said he's been healed. He's carrying his mat. He doesn't really know who heals him. But then Jesus meets him and identifies himself to him and says, interestingly enough, see you're well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So he's pointing out here that it's not just about healing, it's about the inner change of life. So he's encouraging the man, in a sense, to believe in Jesus, to actually put his trust in him as his saviour. And then it concludes, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this would trigger in their minds a memory, because as we've seen um, just a short time prior to this, a man had been sent from Galilee up to Jerusalem to meet the religious leaders and particularly the priests after he'd been healed of leprosy. And if you've listened to all the episodes, you'll remember that particular episode when Jesus heals the leper. Because at that point, he said, go up and show yourself to the priests and make a sacrifice and make a testimony to them. So they would have recorded the fact that Jesus had healed the leper because the priests had to decide whether he was healed and whether he could be readmitted into Jewish society. That had happened only just recently. And now this man comes to the religious leaders who uh, involved the priests as well and said, Jesus healed me. And so Jesus of Nazareth becomes the subject of another conversation in and around the temple amongst the religious leaders and the priests. So a picture is beginning to emerge that stories about Jesus are reaching them, bearing in mind that they had experienced him in the temple before when he derived John chapter 2 in an earlier episode. We described how he went into the temple and he turned over the tables of the money changers and the people who were selling animals for sacrifice and challenged them that they were corrupting the temple by turning it into some kind of market environment rather than a place of worship. So the religious leaders were getting a picture that Jesus was uh, appearing from time to time and performing miracles and creating a following. And this will become critical uh, to the conversation that takes place in the next episode. Now, in the next episode, there's a long discussion about the significance of uh, the event that's just happened, the healing of this man, why it was done on a Sabbath, what did that mean, and who was Jesus anyway? What were the testimonies to Jesus? What was the evidence that Jesus was who he said he was? And what was the relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father? All these questions are now going to come to the forefront. And in our next episode, which follows on directly from this, it's part of the same narrative, we're going to see the conversation that happens between the religious leaders and Jesus. And lots of important true things about Jesus uh, become clear to us as a result of this 
particular conversation. But we're going to stick it for the moment with the actual event. It looks as though Jesus had orchestrated this event. He'd come up very privately. He'd healed somebody knowing that that person would go up to the temple and talk about it. And then he gradually made himself known and it provoked an incident. And he did it on the Sabbath day significantly as well. So this is a remarkable story. And I would say the healing of this man at the pool of Bethesda is a, a prophetic event. Jesus had said in Matthew 12 verse 8 that he was Lord over the Sabbath. In other words, although he respected the law of Moses, all the traditions about what you can't, can and can't do on the Sabbath, um, he would disregard. He was, he was Lord over the Sabbath. And here he's, he's saying the same thing. He's just disregarding their traditions and carrying on and healing people anyway. And what Jesus is doing here also is he's challenging the religious authorities. In the last few episodes, we've seen they've been challenging him. You'll notice, um, if you remember the previous episodes, that in the story of the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof by his friends and he, and he appears before Jesus in a crowded house, we have in that place a whole group of religious leaders who've arrived specifically to observe Jesus. They've come from Jerusalem, Judea, all parts of Galilee. They are there to observe him. They're in a process of observing him and then they start asking tricky questions as time goes on. They challenge him about fasting, for example. Why, why are your disciples irreligious? They're not fasting. We, we discussed that in an earlier episode. And in that context, Jesus says of the man lying before him, friend, your sins are forgiven. He indicates that he, the son of man, has authority to forgive sins. So uh, there's, there's a challenge going on and they're, they're following him in Galilee. They're, they're observing him and they're reporting back to Jerusalem. Well, now the tables are turned. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's challenging them. He's doing something which is going to provoke a response and a discussion and a controversy between himself and the religious leaders. And it will lead to him making clear again that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. However, the details of that uh, we'll cover in the next episode when we look at the long discussion that John records between Jesus, the religious authorities, and also the man who was healed. So as we come to an end of this episode, um, just thinking about things we can take away and learn from it, there's several points I'd just like to make by way of reflection. First of all, the issue of ritual cleansing and holy places where we can receive healing and special blessing. Our world is full of them. It is in our human nature to like to find places, especially associated with God or the divine or some holy person. This phenomenon appears in all sorts of different religions. 
that one of the things that we are seeking in these places is cleansing. Cleansing or cleaning up from a sense of dirt, moral guilt, sin, darkness inside us. That is how people generally feel. They feel as though they're separated from God or the divine uh, and they need to improve themselves and they need to cleanse themselves. And uh, a ritual cleansing, such as the Pool of Bethesda, a ritual cleansing place is a sign of mankind's efforts to try and find a way of getting rights with God. Now, Jesus never encourages any of that ritual cleansing apart from one basic and fundamental event, and that is baptism. Baptism, which we'll discuss more fully in, in other episodes, is a one-off event which Jesus intended to be carried out by people who themselves had personally believed, not infants or children. We'll come to that in another occasion and discuss that more fully. But those who have believed, those who have put their trust, whatever age they are, who are baptised by full immersion, by being washed in the water thoroughly, like in a bath where you are immersed in order to be clean. And this baptism is designed to be a one-off event as a symbol doesn't have any power in itself. It's only a symbol. A symbol that you have already been cleansed from sin within by the work of the Holy Spirit. So these ritual cleansing facilities that appeared in Judaism and appear in lots of other religious traditions um, are not encouraged in Christianity because they take away from the reality that we have been cleansed already and the way to be cleansed of any further sin we um, uh, carry out as Christians is through confession of sin and prayer rather than any external ritual. Another reflection from this passage is Jesus's incredible interest in individuals. He picked out this one man. We don't exactly know why. We don't exactly know what was in the heart of this one man, but it's encouraging to us that in a crowd, Jesus can pick out a single person. He can pick you out of a crowd. And if you're in a crowd now, and that crowd is a crowd of people suffering or people not believing in Jesus, he can pick you out. Maybe he is picking you out now and calling you to himself. Another point to say is there's no hopelessness when Jesus comes into your situation. This man was stuck. 38 years, nothing much had changed. He was poor, he was a beggar, he was an invalid, um, he was in need of help. He was at risk of becoming hopeless and depressed. But there's no hopelessness when Jesus comes into your situation. My final point is that healing, physical healing, is a part of a bigger journey. And this man, although he'd been healed, hadn't really woken up to the spiritual things that were represented by Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know what his message was. And so when Jesus comes to him in the temple and said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, he's basically saying um, healing is one thing. But you need to resolve the question of sin and your relationship with God. And of course, the man was then 
listening in to Jesus, talking to others and, and, and inquiring further, and he would have found out about the message of Jesus. This is a fascinating story as Jesus heals a disabled man, an invalid. And the story continues with a very long and interesting discussion that follows this event, which will be the subject of our next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.